0: In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Today the action in Acts has moved on somewhat from the scenes of Stephen's martyrdom in Jerusalem, and we find ourselves with Paul in Athens. He is waiting for the arrival of Timothy and Silas. With time on his hands, he does what any of us would want to do in a new place. He goes sightseeing around the city. Perhaps visiting places of worship would be high on our list of priorities in a new place, but I doubt that we would feel like Paul, who was deeply distressed at what he saw. The city was crowded with idols, They would have been on every street and crammed into every nook and cranny. It's estimated that there may have been as many as 30,000 altars to idols in Athens at that time. But Paul being Paul, he didn't let this upset him for too long, and he turned what he saw to his advantage. Yes, the Athenians were religious, there was even an altar to an unknown God. So there was obviously a lot of spiritual searching going on in that place. And Paul knew just who this unknown God was. The Athenians had been searching for an answer, just in the wrong place. And now here was Paul, ready to tell them the identity of their unknown God. Thankfully, he got lucky and was invited by the Athenian intelligentsia to state his case in the Areopagus, which was the chief administrative body at that time. At first, everything went well. He flattered the Athenians, praising them for how extremely religious they were. He tells them how much he admired the city and the detail he saw. Then, he unveils the identity of the unknown God as Lord of heaven and earth. This Lord is a bit different from the Athenian gods, as he doesn't live in shrines and he doesn't need anything either, because he is the source of life itself. Paul explains that we are God's children so there's no way he can be represented in stone or silver or gold. This living God is powerful and he has appointed someone who will eventually judge the world, who has the qualifications to do this because God has raised him from the dead. At this point, Paul lost most of his audience There was no room in the dominant Stoic or Epicurean philosophy of that time for any understanding of resurrection. Athens was a city of ideas. This searching was how they relieved their boredom. To search is to ask the fundamental questions of life. What is life for? How do you make sense of it all? Where do I fit into the grand scheme of things? The Athenian intellectuals gave Paul an audience because they wanted to know if there would be anything in what he had to say. Does it do what it says on the tin? What is the relevance of Christianity? Does it make people different? What do you get out of it? The truths of Christianity, of our faith, must have consequences for how we live. Otherwise, they cannot be called truths. If God is the point of everything, being pointed to God must show up in our lives. Cardinal Suart, who was the Archbishop of Paris in the 1940s, said that the Christian witness meant being a living mystery. It means to live in such a way that one's life would make no sense if God did not exist. One person for whom this is true is the social reformer Caroline Chisholm who died in 1877. Every year on May 16th the church commemorates her life. When I saw her name in the lectionary I had to look her up as I knew nothing of her. It turned out that she was a remarkable and brave woman whose whole life was pointed to God. On her marriage, she converted to Roman Catholicism and eventually her family moved to Australia. She noticed that many of the poor women who were coming in on the ships seeking a better life had been given job offers as servants, only to discover on arrival that they were destined to work in Sydney's brothels. Caroline invested a lot of her own money in reclaiming the prostitutes from their pimps, and sought help from the authorities, but found her Catholic faith prejudiced others against her. Nevertheless, she felt called by God to this work, and on Easter Sunday one year, at the altar, she made a spiritual offering of her gifts to the Lord. She promised to know neither country nor creed, but to serve all justly and impartially. Her work flourished and she helped 11,000 women find security in life. As a result of her interventions, standards became higher and awareness grew of the plight of women. When the Governor of New South Wales returned to England, he was able to support her in her struggle for a new immigration policy, a direct result of how much influence Caroline was now having in public life. One of her contemporaries wrote that she exhibited much goodness and generous pity, but even more, an admirable obstinacy in doing good, a sublime stubbornness. So we can say with certainty that if God did not exist for Caroline Chisholm, then thousands of women would have entered into a degrading life, the life of freedom and prosperity they had been promised turned into a nightmare from hell. We are all changed by our our faith, maybe not as dramatically as for Caroline Chisholm, but nevertheless our faith directs who we are in the world. One of the other readings set for today from 1 Peter chapter 3 says, Always be ready to make your defence to anyone who demands from you an account of the hope that is in you. When we speak with non-Christian friends, sceptics or atheists, they may well ask us why we are Christian. What does it do for us? We could, in return, ask them what it is that they believe in, and we may be surprised by the common ground. Perhaps it's not necessary to believe in all the religious dogma as though it's a spelling test that you either pass or fail. More important is to have a desire to follow Christ, to learn, to grow, to work things out as you go along, to be curious. Perhaps we may even develop a sublime stubbornness like Caroline Chisholm. All of us are searching for something, and we may discover in our desire for God that he desires us even more. Amen.